I'm Pastor Dan, for those of you who are visiting this morning. And if you'll notice from a number of sources, the title of my sermon this morning is The Promises of God. You'll find that, uh, my text is from the book of Numbers. You'll find that in your bulletin, it's printed, it's almost a little book, the, uh, the amount of text that I have this morning. And on the back of that little book, you'll find the sermon outline for your easy reference. Again, I find it convenient for most of you that we all have the same translation. So when I say a phrase in the scripture, you can see the same words instead of having different translations and wondering why this word is different. That's why we do it. So join with me in prayer, as I always do, seeking God's anointing through Psalm 1914. And so, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, this morning's sermon, as I've indicated, is focused on claiming God's promises. God gave the Jewish nation a promise, but that promise had to be claimed. You know that God has given us promises to all of us, but we need to know how to claim them and make them real in our lives. We read in the book of Numbers the story of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to check out the land. And they came back and they gave a report. Ten of them gave a negative, defeatist report. But Joshua and Caleb gave a victorious report. Now, have you ever felt like your problems were bigger than you are, stronger than you are? Well, that's how these ten people felt. In our text, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 states, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Which I am giving to the children of Israel. A promise. God's people were living in the wilderness. God wanted them in the mountaintop. And so he promised them a special land. Now, a lot of believers today are dwelling in the wilderness when God wants them to live on the mountain. They have success, unsuccessful lives because they have unsurrendered wills. And Caleb is a contrast to that. See, Caleb was a man who walked in victory, a man who lived on the mountaintop. And what does it mean to live on the mountaintop? It is to live a victorious life, obedient to God's will, and therefore reaping the blessings of God. You know, at the age of 85, we're going to see that Caleb surrendered for the job of giant killer. He wanted that mountain of Hebron that God had ordained for them. That's where the finest grapes grew, where the luscious grass abounded, and where the clearest water flowed. And all through his life, Caleb knew God's will. And he lived on that mountain in his heart, even when he was in the wilderness with the people. For 45 years, Caleb lived on the mountaintop while everybody else lived in the wilderness. I want us to see how we can live on the mountain because Caleb represents every one of us. Caleb represents every believer who wants to live in victory, every believer who wants to wants more of the Spirit and less of self, more of victory and less of defeat, more of godly success and less of failure. We were born again to win, and we were born again to live on the mountaintops of life. 
And so first in your outline, consider Caleb's challenge. Our text, Numbers 13, verse 22 reads, And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Iman, Shezhi, and Telmi. The descendants of Anak were there. Now, these were giants. And I want you to see Caleb's challenge. He had a four-fold challenge. Number one, he had a challenge because these giants who dwelt in the land were strong and proud. Do you know what their names mean? Listen, their names reveal God's genius and his sense of humor. The name Sheshi means who I am. The name Amon means what I am. And the name Talmi means what I can do. So their names were who I am, what I am, and what I can do. And these giants were pretty proud of themselves. They challenged anybody who came against them, anybody who came on their turf. These giants would say, buddy, you better look at who I am. You better look at what I am. And you better look at what I can do because we're strong. Number two, not only were they strong in pride, Caleb faced giants that were strong in position. The spies came back and they said, verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Here were people who were strong in their position because they had walled cities walled cities to protect them and these cities were placed on the mountaintop and they were looking down on any would-be challenger that came to their mountain. These giants were in control. These giants were entrenched in their position. They were very strong strategically. Number three, they were strong in their population. There were many, many of them. This wasn't just a village on the Mount of Hebron, but this was a mighty, mighty city. Caleb didn't have to overcome just a handful, but a great number. And number four, they were strong in their proportion. These were whoppers. These were giants. It says here in verse 32 and 33 that these were men of great stature. These were men, people who were seven to eight feet tall. Goliath was a descendant of these people. This was a whole race of Goliaths, not just one Goliath. This was a whole bunch of Goliaths, and they were very strong in proportion. They were mighty. Here was the Jewish Hebrew people who were smaller in stature. So his challenge was, Caleb's challenge was almost absolutely an impossible challenge. But God was asking them to go and possess the land. You have to understand, before you're too hard on them, that it seemed absolutely impossible. There appeared no humanly way that it could be done. I want to tell you about living the victorious life. Living the victorious life is not difficult. It's impossible. It cannot be done. In human terms, it cannot be accomplished. God is asking us to do the impossible. That's the challenge that we have before us as people of God. But you will never test the resources of God until you attempt the impossible. Until you are trying to achieve that which is impossible, then you're not living on a mountaintop. You're not living where God wants you to live. These giants were big. 
The ten said, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. They had a grasshopper complex. They said, we're not able to take the land. These were the originators of stinking thinking. They said, we can't. We're not able. They're too big. We're too small. They thought of all the reasons why it couldn't be done. It wouldn't be done. It could never be done. They had a grasshopper complex. Many believers today have a grasshopper complex. They want to serve God. They want to live on the mountaintop. They want to live in victory. They want to see the power of God. They want to do the impossible, but they see the giant of doubt. They see the giant of discouragement. They see the giant of failure. They see the giant of depression. They see the giant of difficult economic times and the giant of financial reverses. All kinds of giants. And those giants seem to be strong in their pride, strong in their position, strong in their population, strong in their proportion. And it's not just one giant that we face, it's many giants. And as we face those giants, they look so impossible that we get a grasshopper complex and we begin to act like grasshoppers, crawl like grasshoppers, think like grasshoppers. And pretty soon, we are grasshoppers in our own sight. We can't live on the mountaintop as grasshoppers. I have as much trouble with grasshoppers as I do with giants. That attitude that says it can't be done, that attitude that says it's too hard, it's too difficult, we'll never be able to do it, is the attitude that the devil uses to stop the work of God and to stop God's church from being the militant, victorious, glorious church that God has raised us up to be. So we face a great challenge. Secondly, in your outline, consider Caleb's courage. Here is Caleb, a man who had said, let us go up at once and possess the land. We are well able to overcome them. So this next passage of scripture, Caleb again, along with Joshua, speaks. And Joshua stands by his side. And follow me as I read Numbers 14, 6 through 9. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Japhanah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Here are ten people who said it can't be done and two people who said the Lord is with us. God is on our side. These people are nothing but bread for us. Where did Caleb and Joshua get their courage? What made them different from the rest of the people who said it couldn't be done? What makes one church different from another? What makes one people victorious and another people defeated? What causes one Christian to live on the mountaintop and another Christian to retreat to the desert and live on a desert diet? What makes the difference in Christians? 
This is the difference. Number one, Caleb saw from God's perspective. This is something we have a problem with. Seeing from God's perspective and not from our limited perspective, we often see things from the point of view of our weakness. If you're a grasshopper, any problem looks like a giant. Everything looks too big. Everything looks impossible. But if you are seeing it from God's perspective, it changes everything. I want to tell you, the Bible says that God has made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. If we are sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, then we are looking down on our problems. If we look down on our problems, then all our problems look small because we see them from the divine perspective above, not a grasshopper grasshopper perspective from below. Can you think of anything in your life that's too big for God? Is there any problem that God cannot solve? Is there any mountain that God cannot conquer? Is there any difficulty that God cannot overcome? You know the answer as well as I. No. But you have to see from God's perspective, not man's perspective. If we look at our challenges from man's perspective, we will fail. And listen, all of the ten people who went into the land and said, we can't do it, died in the wilderness. And they never entered into the land that God gave them. The only two spies who went into the land were Joshua and Caleb because they saw from God's perspective. Now remember, every giant looks like an ant when you're up high. If you think your problem is too difficult, then change your perspective. Sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Number two, they said something else about this. They said these giants are bread for us. What do they mean by that? Well, you see, God allows problems not to defeat us, but God allows problems to enlarge us. So not only did they see from God's perspective, perspective, but they saw from God's purpose. These giants were not created by God to defeat them. Look at verse 9 again. He says, they are bread for us. God allows problems to do for us the same that good food does for us. What does good food do for us? It causes us to grow. What do problems do for you? What do the giants of doubt and defeat and discouragement and difficulty do for you? Well, if you meet them with the power of God, if you will seek God's purpose in those problems, it will cause you to mature in Christ. Every problem God has ever allowed into your life that you have conquered has caused you to grow and enlarge and move up the mountain. Now even now, living on the mountaintop does not mean that you will never have any problems or giants, but it does mean that you can see problems from God's perspective and you can see problems from God's purpose. You remember when Sansom Samson defeated the lion. He's walking through the woods and a lion leaps out and attacks him. 
Samson fought the lion with his bare hands and defeated the lion. Then later on the bees came and they made honey in the carcass of that lion. And Samson uh, fought the lion, came back, ate the honey. You see, out of the victory, out of the battle with the lion came the honey for his stomach. You see, that's where our sweet victories come. That's where our blessings come. They come from the battlefield. Number three, Caleb saw God's promise. Look in verse 8 and 9 again. He said, if the, Lord, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, he had a promise from God. And so when he faced the giants, he remembered the promise that he had from the Lord. Do you have a promise from God? Do you have a promise from the Word of God? If you don't have a promise from God, all you have to do is open the book. Amen. There are 9,000 promises in it. The promises from God will give you the courage you need to face the problems, the giants, the difficulties, and all the discouraging things that comes into our lives. You know, if you want to live on the mountaintop, then see things from God's perspective, see things from God's purpose, and see things through God's promises. And lastly, number three in your outline, consider Caleb's conquest. In the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verse... I don't have the verse, chapter 14. We know that it takes... It took 40 years later. The Jews had wondered the wilderness for over 40 years and a whole new generation had come all those who did not believe God, all those who thought they were grasshoppers died as grasshoppers they fried in the wilderness they never lived on the mountain now they come to the land again with a new generation look who's still around just two of them Joshua and Caleb our text, Joshua 14, verses 6 to 13, tells us the story. And here we find that Caleb still had to go into the land. He still had to defeat the giants. And he said, I'm ready to go in. Why could Caleb, after 45 years, still have the tremendous ability to go in and conquer that mountain and live on that mountain? Well, there are three reasons. Number one, because of undiminished faith. There are two ways you can possess something. You can possess something in your heart and you can possess something in your hand. I want to tell you something. All the time Caleb wandered in the wilderness with the people of Israel, he possessed the mountain. He lived on the mountain while other people lived in the wilderness. In every church there are two kinds of people. People who live on the mountaintop and people who live in the wilderness. If you want to live in the wilderness where the scorpions are, where the cactus are, if you'd rather sit on the cactus and complain, if you'd rather stay in the wilderness than live on a mountaintop, 
I can't help you. But I hope you'll not be that way. If you have an undiminished faith and believe God for the victory, before the victory comes, so the victory will come, you'll have victory in your life. Just have that promise of God in your heart. See, Caleb's faith wasn't diminished by the years of wandering in the wilderness. When he didn't see the mountain, he continued to have the mountain in his heart. And that's what the Word of God teaches, and that's what it means to live on the mountaintop. But not only did he not have undiminished, but not only did he have undiminished faith, he had, number two, a wholehearted obedience. Consider what Caleb said about himself in Joshua 14, verse 8. Caleb said, I totally follow the Lord my God. And then Moses confirmed it. That means that he had a wholehearted obedience and commitment to the will of God. See, that's the key to living on the mountain. You can't live on the mountain with one foot on the mountain and one foot on the desert. It is physically and it is spiritually impossible. If you're going to live on the mountain, you've got to be wholehearted in your obedience. God will not use a half-hearted Christian. God will not use a half-surrendered Christian. Did you sing, I surrender all, this morning with your heart? Paul said in Romans 12.1, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, I'm looking today at people, many of which need to come and make a total surrender of their life to the Lord. And the altar is open after this service. Make it your prayer priority. Now, Caleb was in the minority. Those who sell out to God are in the minority. Those who cause churches to grow and those who cause God's work to flourish and be blessed are in the minority. Well, I want to tell you that there is plenty of room at the top of the mountain. There's not too many believers living there. And if you want to be one of God's chosen few and live on the mountaintop, then be totally committed to God. Most of you have heard of Dwight L. Moody. And he was the greatest evangelist of his day. Before television and radio and before modern transportation, Dwight L. Moody brought revival to two continents. I was a young man who wasn't saved until he was 19. And then he began to preach the gospel. At first he had mediocre results until he went to a service and he heard a preacher say, the key is yet to be seen what God can do through the totally committed man. Moody later said that the key to his ministry is that he, by the grace of God, tried to be that man. Listen. I believe it is yet to be seen what can be done through this church when we, the people, will be totally committed to God. Number three, Caleb was successful not only because of undiminished faith but also and wholehearted obedience but he was successful in conquering his mountain because of supernatural strength. And today I know that there are many of us who need that supernatural strength. Otherwise, how do you keep going 
How do you keep walking by faith? How do you keep living on the mountaintop? How do you keep facing those giants every Monday when you return to work? How do you do that? Well, Isaiah chapter 40 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Bible says that God will give us strength. To wait upon the Lord means to wait with faith, to wait with expectancy, to wait with commitment, to wait with obedience. And the Bible says they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, the Bible teaches us that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When it says to renew their strength, it means to exchange their strength. God says we can exchange our weakness for his strength. We can exchange our inability for his ability. We can exchange our weariness for the refreshing power of God in our life. And the Bible says that we were born again to win. We were born again to live on the mountaintop. And you can live on the mountaintop today if you'll have undiminished faith, unqualified commitment, and supernatural strength that comes from exchanging your weakness for God's strength today. Amen. Now the altars are open. Make that your prayer this morning. If you must leave, do so quietly. But as we go out, let's keep the presence of God close. Remember that we worship 24-7. We worship the true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for there is only one true God and that is exclusively the God of Scripture. Amen?